This is the Living in Fierce Alignment podcast, your go-to place for mindset transformation, self-empowerment, and personal development. I'm your host, Kayla. I'm a mindset coach for ambitious human beings who are wildly passionate about up-leveling themselves so that they can live a limitless life with ease. I'm here to show you how to create the life of your dreams and powerfully step into your full potential, and of course, live fiercely. So let's get started. Welcome to the Living in First Alignment podcast. My name is Kayla, and today I have a very special guest. So a friend of mine named Steph, I've invited her to come on to the channel because I wanted her to share her story of being a single mom, working for Arbonne, and we're also going to be talking about some other fun things as well. And I think it's really cool that I have her on the episode today because we've actually known each other since we were seven eight years old so we went to elementary school together and then we kind of fell out of each other's lives and then I stumbled across her Instagram like a couple years ago I'd say now and then I've just been watching her growth and how much she's achieved and everything that she's been through and I really want to capture the story and bring it on the living in first alignment channel because it is fierce and I love it so Steph welcome to the podcast. I'm so excited to have you here and I would love if you can just tell us a bit about yourself. Awesome. Thanks so much for having me. I'm really excited to be here slash also super nervous. (laughs) Um, Yeah, so I'm Steph. I'm a single mom to a three-year-old named Hunter. He's absolutely amazing. Uh, I've been doing Arbonne for just over a year now and prior to that um, I was working at a private mental health and addiction treatment center. I have my social work degree and originally got that degree because um, I'm also sober. I've been in recovery for 13 and a half years and getting my social work degree, I always knew that I wanted to be in the addiction and mental health world. So it brought me in that way. And although I'm not doing that as my career right now, I'm still involved in, in that and many other aspects as well. Um, so it's just a, a short, a short little quick bio of me. There's, there's much more, but. <laughs> no, that's perfect. I'm really excited. And I think the first thing that we're going to dive into, because you recently left that career path in the sense that you're full-time in Arbonne. And I really wanted Mm -hmm. to talk about Arbonne on the channel today, because there's a lot of mixed feelings, I think, that society has about Arbonne. And so I just wanted Steph to really share her experience, because she's completely thriving in this and really helping (laughs) a lot of other women and people just be able to be self-employed, which I think is so effing important, especially in 2020 with the pandemic. So can you please tell us how you got into Arvon and just really like share that journey? Because I know that it's been very quickly evolving in the last year since you started. Totally. I, yeah, I'm happy to share that. So um, I so Arbonne, if you guys don't know what Arbonne is, it's a, it's a network marketing company. Um, it's been around for 40 years. It's a vegan health and wellness company with over 450 products. So n- nutrition, skincare, makeup, baby care, basically anything that you already need and use in your home, we carry it. We ban over 2,000 toxic ingredients. So that's that's the draw to Arbonne, right? Is that it's it's awesome. We're also B Corp certified. If you don't know what that is, you can go to the B Corp website, but basically it means that we balance per, uh, profit and purpose. So um, I've actually been a part of three other network marketing companies in the past and had not found success in it. Um, one, I just didn't align with the business, like that company itself um, or the products. And also the other half of that was that I needed to do so much work on myself. I needed to go down the personal development journey and I just wasn't there yet. So what got me into Arbonne, which I joined, I joined Arbonne in September, the end of September of 2019. And what sparked that was that um, at the beginning of September, my husband asked me for a divorce. And so at the time I was working for the private mental health and addiction uh, treatment center, you know, making a good income, um, you know, doing well in the corporate world but I wasn't going to be able to afford life as a single mom. Um, And that was terrifying was when I actually started to do the math between rent and bills and daycare and all that kind of stuff, I was going to have $0 left over per month and not have any extra money to even buy him new clothes. And so I was like, you know what, like I need a second stream of income. And how am I going to do that? It's not like I can go get a serving job because that would take time away from Hunter. Um, You know, and that's just not the reality when I was already working, like I would work 
sometimes 70 hour work weeks. Like I gave my all to this, this job. It was a startup. And so I, and I love working in mental health and addictions. I, I'm so passionate about it. So I didn't mind doing that, but time, time's an asset, right? So I didn't have the time. And I was like, mm, okay. And I had this girlfriend that was doing Arbonne and she had joined the year prior to, to me joining. And I saw her success. I saw her be able to bring her husband home with her, have the flexibility. You know, she, she got the car, she was happy, like just all these things. I was like, okay, so if she can do it, why can't I do it? Right. And I literally asked myself that I'm like, I knew her before she did it. And now I watch this happen. So she can do it. I can do it. So I messaged her and then joined. And it was a bit of a slow start, to be honest, for me, like I was super scared of what people were going to think, especially because that this is now my fourth network marketing company that I've been with. I was really worried that people are going to be like, oh, here's stuff goes again. And you know what? They were like, I did get messages. <laughs> oh, wow. Weren't you a part of that company and this company and that one? I'm like, yes, yes, I was. <laughs> So I was scared, like actually terrified. Um, and like you mentioned um, earlier when we were talking is there's a stigma when it comes to network marketing as well. And people have a really, really like weird taste in their mouth about it. And I'll touch on that in a second too. I want to get back to that. I just want to make sure you guys know the story of Arbonne and how this happened for me. So slow start. And then my, my sponsor, Carly, my friend, the one I had watched do all this, you know, she really had to just hold my hand and be like, you're ready to do this stuff. Like you're ready. And you need to think of your why you need to think of why you are doing this. And so I actually had to sit down and write out my why and visualize like what I wanted out of life. And what I wanted was more time flexibility. I didn't want to have to be locked down to a job nine to five, or in my case, I was checking emails at 630 in the morning. And again, at nine o'clock at night, you know, I always have my work phone with me. So I wanted, I wanted more flexibility and I didn't want someone to tell me how many weeks of vacation that I could take a year. And then when I started to think of like Hunter, he's, he's three right now, he's going to be going to school in a couple of years, like in kindergarten in a year and a half. How, how would I get him to school? How would I pick him up? He would have to go to before school care. He'd have to go to after school care. And then I would come home from work and be exhausted. And then he'd go to bed two hours later. And I just couldn't help but feel like, what kind of life is that? Like, how come in society, that's what we're taught from such a young age that, yeah, you need the nine to five job. You need the job with the benefits, the good pension. And, oh my God, you're so lucky. You make a good salary. And it's like, <laughs> what I thought was a good salary didn't translate well into a paycheck, to be completely honest. How, how is a good salary, whatever you, like, at first I always thought it was 50000 a year or 80000 right? And then as soon as, like, those numbers happen, I'm like, <laughs> I, how come I'm still struggling then? How come this is still a struggle at the end of the month? Like, I thought life should be easier at that point, and it wasn't. And it's weird that society, like, teaches us that that's how we have to live our lives. And really when you like dive into it more, this system was set up on when the woman stayed at home and the man went to work. It's not, it's not a good reality in today's world. When you have a two income household and kids, it's so hard. It is so hard on top of like laundry, cleaning, cooking, having a life, doing self-care. It is overwhelming to the max. So I had to think about that why, right? And I really had to dig deep and, and think of those big, scary goals, even beyond that. Like, okay, what, what would I do if I were earning like 50,000 a month? What would I be doing with that? And I was like, you know, I was like, that's, oh, that's so funny. <laughs> 50,000 a month. Like, that's, that's funny that you said that. Thanks for throwing that out there. But I actually just had to like, okay, let's pretend I would make 50,000 in a month. What would I do with that? And I'm like, okay, well... I could travel and I could bring Hunter with me around the world to go experience different cultures. I could start a nonprofit or some sort of charity that had to do with mental health and addictions. I could start big speaking engagements and actually start speaking to people, you know, that are in recovery or perhaps women who, who need to work on their, their self-love and self-worth or women who have overcome abusive relationships because that's also a part of my history too. So I really had to start thinking of the bigger goal and actually digging into like why I'm doing this. And um, I also just was told you can change your story at any time. 
change your story, change your life. So my story when I was joining Arbonne was my husband asked me for a divorce, found out he was cheating on me. Um, I was going to be a broke single mom. And here, here I go again in another failed relationship, right? And I was like, F that. Like, I don't want that to be my story. So no. So my why became bigger than the potential haters that were going to come at me. Like, it still sucks getting haters or getting mean messages like that. It still stings a bit, but I also had to realize that when people are, are coming at you with hate like that and negative comments, they're coming from a place of misery. Like hurt people hurt people. Empowered people empower people. So when you're having, when I have people that are like, you know, trolling me, like they'll create fake accounts and message me and stuff like that. I'm like, okay, reminder stuff. Those people are, are miserable people. Like they are not happy in their own lives or else they wouldn't have taken the time of their day to do that. So that, that was how I just kind of off balance that. And then I talk about it with my friends too. So that's really why I started Arbonne. And then I just ran with it. You know, like my, you know, my, my why became bigger than my excuses and my fear. So I showed up, I did it. I was consistent. And the biggest thing for me with it was diving into personal development. You can't be successful in this business without doing a shit ton of work on yourself like a lot of work on yourself. <laughs> oh, yeah. So I dove into podcasts, right? Yeah. You know, you've had to, right? <laughs> yeah. No. And I, I, I just love so much what you're sharing because whether it's, you know, you're going into like a company like Arbonne or you're starting your own business or whatever it is that you're doing, like you're just sharing some real golden nuggets in terms of like, you have to make your why so fucking strong that it doesn't matter what other people do or say or think. And one of the things that I saw recently is a really fresh reminder is that other people's opinions don't pay your bills. Mm -hmm. so, I mean, you can use that literally or figuratively, but the thing is, no matter what other people say to you about your life, what you think, what you think you can or can't do, they're not living your life. They can say whatever they want, but whatever they say doesn't actually create your life. It's what you do. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah. And so I, I love that. And it's obvious that you had to do a lot of like, it's obvious that you did a lot of inner work because you made your why so big that it just overcame everything and you were able to excel like so quickly within a year and make it to the top 1% of the company, which is like <laughs> unreal. And I just love that. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. And yeah, and also that's not typical. Like it's like that is, you know, like, okay, you can look at earnings.arbon.com if you have to like actually look at the timelines and stuff, but it's not typical. But for me, it really was digging into that why and digging into that power of it. And then, you know, like I was working full time while I made this happen, you guys, like I was going to mediation. I was dealing with the emotions of having my husband cheat on me and then our family fall apart like he has two kids from a previous marriage I was a stepmom to them I still am a stepmom to them I still call them my stepkids so I was like my entire family was breaking apart so I was navigating all that so while starting a business when you're working full-time you have to time block like you have to set time aside so what that looked like for me was like waking up in the morning right and it was always a rush getting hunter out the door for daycare driving in the opposite direction of work to drop him off at daycare then driving out to work but in the morning when i was getting ready and when i was driving i would always have on an audiobook or a podcast that's when i would do like that type of personal development or i'd listen to old calls just anything motivational that could help me you know get out of myself and grow and learn so that's when I'd find the time to do that. And then I would work on my, you know, breaks or my lunch hour. And then when I got off work, that was my time with Hunter until he went to bed. And then as soon as he went to bed, I worked. So what I used to do was binge watch Netflix for hours. Like Netflix would be on from 8 p.m. to midnight every single night. And I would watch how many episodes of whatever show I was watching at that time. Right. And instead of doing that, I worked, right? I dove more into personal development. You know, I, I educated myself. I took courses. I, you know, I really just was like, I'm going to spend my time doing this because that's what's going to help me grow. Sure. Like 
yeah, I would love to watch a show, but it's short-term sacrifice for me, right? Like this is what it takes to get the business up and running. Anyone who's an entrepreneur knows that. It's oh, like, yeah. you need to put your time in, right? Yeah. I'm like, yeah. I'm listening to you and I can, I can hear myself in that too. Like, it's funny because what we show on social media, you know, maybe it looks like we're just kind of hanging out, like doing our content, whatever. But you know, what people don't know is like, I, my best friend lives in, in Ontario and she's three hours ahead of me. So I get up at 6am to have work calls with her at 630 in the morning. And then yeah. I will work. So I'm doing contract work. That's most of my income for now. And I also do coaching, but it's like, that's like a nine to five, nine to six, eight to six kind of thing. And then at night I'll be up until 1030, 11 o'clock at night, listening to podcasts, like doing stuff for my business. Like there's so much shit that happens behind the scene that people don't See, and it is, it is the before and after until it becomes the whenever you want, because, you know, you get to leave your job, which I know is what you did, right? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So finally was able to leave my job. I, I promoted to a VP level in June, which was amazing. And I wasn't ready to leave my job at the time. Like I loved my job. <laughs> loved my job like so connected I was basically the gatekeeper for the the facility and so I got to really walk people into treatment be the person they talk to ahead of time and and then greet them when they got there and just help them get all settled in and that's a you know that's something I I didn't take lightly it was such an honor to be able to do that for people and and something that I could just relate to so much because I went to treatment myself right so I know that it was really helpful for those people that were walking in being like, wow, okay, this girl actually knows what I'm going through right now because she's had to do it too. So I loved my job and it was really hard to leave. So I, I realized though in, it was this, yeah, it was, it was this September. So it would have been a year after I first joined Arvon. I was driving to work one day and it's the most beautiful drive there. Like, you know, you know where it is. Oh yeah. It's John like up in Cavish, like through a forest. Like it's so majestic. Yeah. It's yeah. majestic, right? It's the most beautiful drive. And I was, I was driving and I was like, I don't want to be here. And I, and I used to always love my drive, right? And I was like, I don't want to do this. And then I started thinking, like, just like snap in my head. When I was doing my social work degree, I was shadowing another social worker for one of my practicums and she had two little kids. And she said, Steph, if you ever have the opportunity, once you have kids, to stay at home with them before they are five years old, do it. And that voice came back in my head as I was driving that morning. And the reason why I hadn't been thinking of it was because money was always an issue when I was with my ex-husband. Like we were always tight, right? Always. It was never a reality that I was going to be able to stay home with Hunter ever. So it was just completely out of my head, but it, it popped into my brain that morning. And I'm like, what am I doing? Why, why am I still going to my nine to five job? and doing my business and going through the divorce and all that kind of stuff. I was like, no, I, I can't do it anymore. And also I knew if I wanted to show up for the girls on my team and start to show up as the person that I wanted to and the, the woman I was envisioning, I couldn't do it all. I couldn't, I couldn't be at that job anymore. So I walked into my boss's office that morning, who was also a good friend of mine, luckily. So it was a little bit easier, but I was like, hey, Rob, um, so I think I want to quit. He's <laughs> like, so are you, you want to, you want to quit? Or are you giving your, your two weeks? I was like, mm, give my two weeks. Oh <laughs> my gosh. Yeah. Yeah. Right then and there. And it was emotional. Like, I'm not going to lie. I cried a lot leaving that job. Like I cried a lot. It felt like I was breaking up with a lot of people and um, what I had to remind myself is that I have a bigger dream and that's not the end for me with that place and with those people and helping with addictions and mental health, but I needed to follow this journey right now. And I do not regret it at all. I am so happy right now being able to like work from home and work for myself and, and dive into this more. It has been amazing, especially because of the <laughs> pandemic right now oh my God, and all the restrictions. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And Hunter, like if he's sick, he can't go to daycare. If he like he had a runny nose this week, so he couldn't go to daycare, even though he's fine. His energy's fine. But because he has a runny nose, he couldn't go. So I had to, I had him all week at home with me 
which by the way is really hard to get work done when you have a three-year-old running around your house destroying it but I'm so grateful I didn't have to use up sick days or feel guilty for putting you know people out at, at work anymore yeah so basically just working from home gives me the freedom to be able to stay at home with Hunter when he's sick or make my own schedule you know and like I can work at night now if I have him at home and yeah, it's hard to get any work done because he destroys the house. He wants my attention constantly. Anyone with kids knows that it's hard. Right. And that's the beauty of this is that now I get to create my own schedule that I just put him to bed. And then I work from like eight to midnight or eight to one and get, get my stuff done that I wasn't able to get done during the day. And I was thinking about that this week that I'm just so, so grateful that I don't need to feel guilty anymore for taking sick days, because even though we shouldn't feel ever feel guilty for taking sick days, I never didn't feel guilty for taking sick, yeah. sick days. I could never relax because I knew I was putting someone out at work or, um, I would have so much work to go back to because yeah. I'd missed a couple of days off work. Yeah. Right. And that's totally, yeah. that's totally, you know, the corporate world. And that's definitely something that I don't miss and that I've, I've left that world. And it's funny because so some, some people who listen to my channel, they'll know, like I worked for a pretty big corporation last year and I left them in the middle of the pandemic because I started working online and started doing contract work and focusing on my coaching business. And it was funny because this week I was having a flashback and with that job that I had in December, I wasn't allowed to block time off. Like I couldn't request days off. We had to give like a set schedule on when to go into work. And so I'm like sitting at home now, a year later, like in my office in a bigger apartment with my boyfriend, like having done so much work this year, a lot has shifted. And I'm just like, I wouldn't want that for anyone. And that's like making mm -hmm. like, you know, two to three times less than I am now doing that work. And I, so I'm just like so passionate about entrepreneurs and like people. And this is why I wanted you to share about Arbonne because I know that it's going to resonate with some people and that might be the way that they get to get out of the corporate world. Because I think the corporate world is like, it's just, it's crashing, you know, like look at all the corporate mm -hmm. buildings right now that are just going to be out of red because everyone's working from home. Like it's this, like times are a hundred percent shifting now. And I think it's, it's a beautiful time to be honest. Yeah. I totally agree. And it's so funny that you say that too, is that like, you couldn't take that time off and you were working for a corporation that <laughs> you were earning way less money than you are now. Cause that's the reality. I remember too. I remember being, you know, working for government, having to work 12 hour days and getting paid peanuts, but being made to feel like I was super important. And like, it was a big deal that I was there. And so you know, you didn't want to ask for more and all that kind of stuff. And now it's like, wow, like I was young, right out of school. Of course, like everyone else I was working with was same too. I didn't know my worth, right? And I didn't know how valuable time was. I would never do that now, ever. Yeah. yeah. You know, like I, I need to be doing something that feels fulfilling and that's helping other people. And that was actually something I had to reconcile with within myself with leaving the treatment center to doing Arbonne, right? Being like, okay, but like, I love helping people with mental health and addiction. And then I realized, you know what? How many people do I get to impact through my business? How many women's and men's lives do I get to help change through this business? And it's huge. The impact of change that I can do through this business is way greater than it is for me personally working in that one position at the treatment center. Because you know, this is like, I, I do have a big following on Instagram, not like big, big, but large, you know, <laughs> um, and addiction is something that I talk about. Like I talk about my, my journey into recovery. So I still get to impact um, people with the addiction and mental health side of things in that way as well. And then I always just remind myself is like, because I get to have such larger earning potential with this business is now I have more time and I can do that charity. I can do that nonprofit as soon as I get there one day. It's so much more than I ever would have been able to do just at that one corporate job. Totally. So it's pretty cool. Oh yeah. I love this. Can you talk a little bit more about your journey with addiction and just how you've overcome that? And yeah, I would just love to, to dive into that a bit because it's always such a powerful message that the people who have overcome that to get their message out there to give hope for people who are still in it or dealing with it or know people in their life who are struggling and, and whatnot. 
Totally, totally. So I'll give you a bit of a background just so you guys understand the story of what happened. You you knew me back in elementary school too, but I don't know if you remember this, but like I was such a perfectionist. I was such a teacher's pet, um, like straight A's, had like always felt this feeling of like needing to be perfect and look perfect. And it, you know, it may have stemmed from my family home, right? Like dad's a doctor, mom's a teacher having to, you know, play this part, look this part. And my parents are amazing, by the way. Like I love my parents. I'm so close with them. This is nothing about them, but I always had that, that need to feel perfect. And that's where I got my self-worth from. And then my parents separated, they, they ended up getting back together, but they separated when I was in grade five and my mom left and I didn't see her much for that first year. And prior to that, she was really depressed and, you know, you could feel that energy around the house, but I was a little kid. I didn't understand what was happening. And then my, my dad's mom, so my grandma moved into the house with us and she kind of became my second mom. Like I was so close with her and, you know, just loved her so much. And during that time where they were separated, I started to get really bullied at school. So I went to um, a French school here in Victoria and I was getting bullied. Like, um, you know, it did start over, you know, MSN Messenger, that was a thing at the time. And the school I was at was a really small school. So it was like 30 kids per grade. And so I couldn't get away from these bullies. Like they're, they're either your friends or you're screwed, right? And, um, I would come home every single day crying, like every single day crying, but by myself, like I hid it from my parents. And, um, you know, eventually I got a best friend um, and I confided like Laurelyn and she went to a different school and I confided in her what was going on. And right around that time, my parents got back together too. So we went and told my parents and then they were like, you're never going back to that school. And I switched right then and there halfway through the school year. I went to a new school. And I had all these new friends, right? Like I was now this like cool, like popular new girl that everyone wanted to be friends with. And I was 13 and like people were starting to drink and smoke pot, right? That was the cool thing to do. And so I did, I started drinking. And I remember the first time that I drank, I wanted more. I remember feeling like, okay, where's, where's the next? Like, give me more. And I like, I did black out, like alcohol made me black out really, really easily. Like, you know, a couple of drinks and I don't remember. And so I also started smoking pot at the time. And again, it was just something we did often, but like no one thought anything of it because all my friends were doing it. Like I didn't look different than any other 13, 14 year old that couldn't handle their liquor. And things pro progressively got worse. Like I went on Accutane when I was 15 and you're not supposed to drink when you're on Accutane. Um, so it made me depressed and suicidal. And uh, it, it was just, it was just bad. Like I was just bad and you know, the hormones and my mom and I weren't getting along. So we would fight at home. And then when I was 17, I got into cocaine. So in high school, I was doing coke all weekends and then on some of the weeknights as well and what it looked like for high school is that like I was the biggest stoner ever like I'd wake up smoke pot uh, on the way to school smoke pot morning break stoned lunch stoned afternoon break always always right I was never not under the influence at that time constantly blacking out constantly putting myself in really dangerous situations like waking up in ditches all while then going back home to you know my affluent community with my Dr. Dad and trying to hide everything from them. Like it was, it was really, it wasn't a good situation. And my parents started to realize that I, I had an issue with alcohol, but again, it was like, I was a teenager just going through something. Right. And then we graduated and I started dating a drug dealer. <laughs> And it just got bad really quick. He was abusive. We were doing illegal activities. And um, I went on a family trip to Hawaii with my brother, who you know, and my parents. And when we returned, there was a letter waiting on our front door. And it was an anonymous letter telling my parents that I was into hard drugs, that I was getting in fights. My whole personality changed. My friends were scared of me because they thought I was going to beat them up because, yes, I got into fights when I was in addiction. <laughs> Can you imagine me getting in fights? No, like, <laughs> that's crazy. But in that context, I'm like, wow, you know? <laughs> It was crazy. It was. I like. I. I acted crazy. I was. I was crazy, and um, and so my parents knew at that point. Like, okay, this isn't going away. Like, Stephanie has a problem. So they sent me. They like showed me the letter, and they're like, "Is this true?" And I. I was like, I can't say it's not. 
<laughs> like I, I didn't try and lie. I just was like, it's not. So I started to go to an addictions counselor and I wasn't telling the counselor the truth at all. Right. Like I was like, mm, I don't know. I'll, you know, like I, I do Coke once in a while, not, not like every couple of days I do it once in a while or whatever. And then my parents ended up giving me the ultimatum to either go to rehab or get out of the house. And I was like, okay, see ya. And I left and I went and moved in with a drug dealer boyfriend. And so it went downhill really, really quickly. Three months into that, that's, I hit my bottom. I'd been up for a couple of days. I found out a girl that I was friends with had hit on my boyfriend. He was probably hitting on her too, let's be honest. Um, and I went crazy. So I, I, I had been up for two days. She was back at the house that we were partying at. And so I drove back to the house and tried to beat her up. They locked the front door on me. So I climbed through a window to attack her. And then I phoned my boyfriend to tell him what I had done. And I was laughing. And he's like, I'm going to tell your parents that you used Coke again, because I tell, I told them that I was, I was done. Like I wasn't doing that anymore. I was trying to paint this image for them that I was getting better, but in all reality, I was getting worse and worse. So I found myself crying and begging him, don't tell my parents, please don't tell my parents. And then this light bulb went off in my head where it's like, you sound pathetic. Like you're begging someone. And so I was like, okay, I'll phone my dad and I'll tell him. So I phoned my dad right then and there. And I told him, dad, okay, I'm ready to go to rehab. And within a few days, I ended up in treatment. So I had just turned 19, walking into a treatment center, having no idea of what to expect. But all I knew is that I didn't want to be that girl anymore. I had hated who I'd become. Like I hated the things I was doing. I hated what I was saying to people. I didn't even recognize myself anymore at all. So that's, that's, that's the pre-story. Oh my <laughs> that's God. landed me there. Yeah. <laughs> No, I love, I really acknowledge you for being so vulnerable and just sharing all of that. And, mm -hmm. and I can tell that you've done the healing and you've done the work because you can talk about it so openly, right? As mm -hmm. it being a powerful lesson for yourself and other people. So I want to mm -hmm. ask you this, what, considering where you're at now and the direction that you're going in, if you were to go back in time and say, talk to your 18, 19 year old self, like, what would you, what would you say to them? Oh my gosh. Well, it depends if I were to be talking to the, the girl in addiction or the girl newly in recovery. Because when I, when I think back to like talking about the girl in addiction, I'm like, it's, it's tough. It's really hard to get anything across to someone who's in addiction, who's in denial, who doesn't want to admit they have a problem. And the thing that I did, which most, most addicts do, is they hang out with people that are worse than them. Cause then you look good. I looked good with the people I was hanging out with. I'm like, I'm not as bad as them. Like I'm fine. I'm good. <laughs> so it's really hard. Like, I don't know what I would say to the girl in addictions. I think that it played out. I think it played out really, really well. Like I think what was said to me by others was, was what needed to be said was that I was loved and that, that people were going to support me in my recovery, but not support me in my addiction. And I think that's the biggest thing that's really important. If you are, are struggling with a family member or loved one that's in addiction is, is to set those clear boundaries that you love that person and that you're there to support them in their recovery, but you will do nothing to support them in their addiction. Like don't give them money. Don't do any of that stuff. But if they're willing to do something for their recovery, be there, you know? Yeah. Cause it's hard. And what people don't realize too, is that addiction is a disease, right? Like there's an argument about it, but like, it's, it's, it's a brain disease. Like it is right. But there's such a stigma when it comes to addiction and mental health, like the way that we treat someone that's struggling with addiction or a family member that's struggling with addiction, it's not the same type of way that we'd be treating someone with cancer because it looks ugly. Like, because people, when they're in their addiction are their worst selves, they hurt people bad. They do terrible things. So it's really hard for people to remember that they're sick, right? And, and why do they continue to choose in quotation marks to do those kind of things? Why do they continue to choose to pick up drugs? Yeah. And it's not, and it's not like, I can tell you how many times I woke up in the morning being like, I'm never going to drink again. I'm never going to do that again. And by early afternoon, there I was drinking again. Like it, it's an obsession of the mind and a compulsion of the body. Like it's really hard to stop. Right. And until I learned more about what addiction was, what it was doing to my brain. And also that like, you know, I didn't have a moral failing. Like, it's not like I was a defect of a person that I was actually sick. It was, it was hard. It was hard to even 
like you have to learn that kind of stuff. And that's what going to rehab and going to 12 step meetings, like that's what I do. I do 12 step. There's lots of other uh, ways to get in recovery um, that aren't 12 step based because people have an issue with the God in the, in the language. Um, I just use God as like my higher power. God can be the mountains. God can be the sky. It can be whatever, right? It's whatever you want it to be. Don't get caught up in the language. But me, going to treatment and going to those 12 step meetings really taught me that I wasn't alone. I'm not the only person struggling with that. And I remember being like at a meeting and having someone share her story. And I was like, Oh my God, it sounds like me talking. Like that's how I feel. And I did those things. And then being like, Oh my God, like I found my people. I have found them. And then seeing other people that had, you know, three months sober or six months sober or two years sober. Like I couldn't even fathom that, but I'm like, Hey, it's again it's the same thing or she did it I can do it yeah. that's kind of my motto yeah yeah that person to do it I can do it <laughs> yeah no I love that I love that so much and I think what people struggle with like when you're talking about the stigma around addiction and mental health is that unless this is well this is me biased saying this but unless you have a higher awareness and are really open-minded it's it's really it can be challenging to accept something that you can't see mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. right and whether you put that on you know because like you said with cancer it looks ugly like you see people lose their hair you see them lose weight like you just see them ill right whereas mm-hmm. with mental health and addiction like you don't see anything physical or even if you want to shed this into like a positive light if you want to talk about manifestation and law of attraction and just like visualization some people are like oh like i don't believe in manifestation and it's because it's one of those things that requires a lot of faith right? Mm -hmm. And just being like open-minded to receive information or understandings. And so I think that that also ties into understanding, you know, addiction, right? And so it does. Yeah. And so I want to ask you then, since you mentioned earlier that you wouldn't necessarily know what to say to your, you know, self when you were really in it, that really it's just Mm -hmm. about giving love and whatnot, what would you say to yourself, like in recovery, like in, you know, yourself now talking to yourself right when you started recovery like what would you tell her about your future and like what's coming like you are good enough you are more than good enough you are worth it you are worthy and like that's also I guess a message I would have told myself in addiction to it just would have been harder to hear but that I think was honestly the biggest struggle for me like especially in recovery it's taken me a long time to learn how to love myself and accept myself and find value in myself um and that's what I would want, want her to know. And like, also like a big part of my story too, was, was like really terrible relationships, even in recovery. Right. So it's some, it's because I didn't value myself and that's where I just wish. And I hope that like more young women can find that sooner. Right. Because we make these decisions thinking that we need to compromise so much of our values and our morals for other people and we don't because again it's a larger society societal issue right where like we're taught to be the good girls and you know to to stay quiet and to look nice and pretty and you know do those things and keep other people happy and no like no 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 you need to be happy i like i need to be happy i need to take care of my happiness nobody's going to do it for me like So we, that's what I want people to know is that you are in charge of your life and your happiness. Nobody's going to do it for you. You need to take care of yourself first, no matter what. And even now, like as a mom, like, of course, like Hunter is my everything. Like I love him so much. Like, obviously I would die for him in a heartbeat. Right. But even then it's like, I make sure I get in my self-care. Like I know if I'm not taking care of myself and doing what I need to do for me, I'm not showing up as the best mom. I'm not, and I'm not going to be able to give him the grace and the patience that he needs. So I think that is really what I would want to tell the younger stuff was just like, you are good enough and you are worthy and use your voice and stop compromising, like stop compromising, go after what you want, like shine bright. Yes. (laughs) This is such a powerful message that you're sharing because, you know, with, like really the undertone of what you're saying is just really taking responsibility for your life. You know, when Mm -hmm. you really hit that wall with addiction, it was like, it was like that moment that you just decided to take responsibility for your life and you got into rehab and you, you know, you just 
completely transformed yourself. And then even same with, you know, you leaving your, your employment, like your nine to five to go full time into Arbon. like you took responsibility mm-hmm. for yourself and like wanting to create that. And then even like being a mom with Hunter and leaving your relationship last year. Right. So it's like, mm-hmm. there's so much power in just being responsible for ourselves and really understanding that we are the creator of our life and that yes. it, it is up to us. Like, you know, you can't, you can't save somebody who doesn't want to be saved. Right. Mm-hmm. Like, obviously you can hear that, that tone in your, in your experience and your story that you shared. And so mm-hmm. like, I just, I, I totally resonate with everything that you're, that you're sharing. And the next thing that I wanted to talk about was you had mentioned this and it's funny cause I can relate from the other end of the spectrum where my parents separated when I was three. So I grew up mm-hmm. with, you know, two different families, like literally bipolar lives to be completely honest, but I would love for you to share about your experience of being a single mom and just obviously just like infusing inspiration and empowerment into that for the other like single moms that I know are listening to this right now. Mm -hmm, Totally. Um, So obviously it's not what I pictured for myself. Most, most people don't go into having a baby thinking that that's what they're going to be unless you're, you're actively choosing that or end up, you know, in that situation. But like, it's definitely not what I had imagined for myself. So there was a lot of grieving when it came to, first realizing that I was going to be a single mom grieving because I had pictured this life, this married life and, you know, that life for Hunter. And now he was going to be in two homes. So I, my head immediately went to like, you know, the negatives of it. Like, you know, is he going to be okay? And I had mentioned earlier, my mom was a school counselor. She was a teacher, also a school counselor. So she worked a lot with kids that came from separate homes and she saw the negative parts of it too. Right. Cause it's just a reality is it, it does negatively affect a lot of children not all. Um, but again, it's, you know, change your life, change your story. I didn't want my story to be that this broke me and that I was, you know, going to be a sad, poor single mom. Like that was really just not, I didn't want to have to depend on my ex for child support. And cause he, um, well, we won't get into, <laughs> we won't get into that. <laughs> I know that reality of child support and it's like such an ugly conversation. So yeah, we can just leave that beast for another time. We'll leave that one. We won't get into that can of worms. Um, but basically I just didn't want to have to, you know, always be relying on somebody else. And I also didn't want this to impact Hunter on my side of things. So what I knew is that I had to start showing up as the best version of myself, right? That is like, I can't control what his dad does. Um, I know his dad loves him, but like, I I don't agree with um, lots of the decisions that his dad does for him. And that's been one of the biggest challenges when it comes to being a single parent is that I have to make the decision of, okay, I can either go down the route of lawyers, court, police, lots of money to you know, protect my son because full mama bear mode comes out, right? And then I'm like, okay, but that would also negatively impact Hunter because he's going to feel that negative energy going on between his dad and I. I'm going to be super stressed out. His dad's going to be super stressed out. Or I can try and make the best out of a really shitty situation, right? And what does that look like? And what that looks like is trying to put like my own feelings aside, for what's best for Hunter. And yes, I don't agree with the decisions that his dad does, but what do I need out of the situation? Like for example, most recently he started dating a woman with three kids. And that that is difficult for me in terms of we told each other that we weren't going to we were going to introduce partners to Hunter for 6 months, right? We need to know that it's a serious committed relationship and also when you're involving children it's just so much more fragile, right? And so that those guidelines were not followed in this situation at all. It was a really quick, it's been a really quick relationship and the hunter's been introduced to the kids. So my, my thinking immediately goes to negative, right? Like I was like, oh, well, what if the kids are mean to him? And you know, what if she shows more attention to those kids? And then like my ex starts showing more attention to those kids. And what if Hunter gets left out? Like just all the negative messages. And thankfully I have some really supportive, awesome people in my life. And one of them's my boxing coach. And he's like, yeah, but Steph, think of the positives. Like what if these people ended up being his best friends? What if those kids ended up being lifelong best friends? What if that new girl has like a brother and he's a pilot? Now Hunter is like so into airplanes and wants to be a pilot too one day. And I was like, 
dang it, you're right. You're so right. I'm thinking of all the negatives. Like I need to think of the positives in this situation. And it really turned it around for me. And so when I find myself getting in those negative head spaces of like, like, I don't like this. He wasn't following what we agreed upon. Then I have to remind myself of the potential goods because all I'm doing right then and there is, is playing out what ifs. It's not mm -hmm. even what's happening. Yeah, I'm exactly. Just creating scenarios in my head and then getting upset about it. So stop that, right? Like I have to stop myself. But on the flip side, I also just have to make sure that I honor myself and what I'm feeling because it's normal. Like it is so normal to be upset like that, have those mama bear feelings, want to protect your babies and to be sad, like to grieve the fact that like, this is not how you pictured life to be for your kid. And that's not. And so that was also part of my why with Arbon was that I want to provide Hunter with the life that I've always dreamed of for him. And I want to provide it by myself. I don't want to have to rely on anyone else for providing him that life. I'm going to provide him that life. And that way, if his dad says no to paying for sports or dad says no for paying for this or that, I'll be like, okay, no problem. Got it covered. You know, like that, that I can just do those things for Hunter that I want without anyone else kind of getting in my way in, in that aspect. But it's, it's been a challenge. Like, I'm not going to lie. Like it's been a whole new world of having to, to navigate the fact that like, you know, I have Hunter by myself a lot. Right. And that I am the first of my friends to go through a divorce and become a single parent. And it's one thing to imagine it. And then it's another thing to actually experience it, yeah. to be honest. It's yeah. Hard. <laughs> yeah. And you know what, I, I remember there was a time on Instagram where you were just sharing really vulnerably how you were just experiencing the challenges of going through a divorce with everything going on and, yeah. you know, just wanting the best for Hunter and, and whatever. And I remember I messaged you and I just shared something along the lines of like, when I look at my life being from, you know, a split family and I think the best thing that my mom ever did for me was like, she just focused on showing up as her best self. And yes. always choosing, you know, no matter what shit hit the fan, never to like speak poorly about my dad, like whatever actions he did spoke for himself anyways, right? So, yeah. and she just, that's just what she did. And she just held the space for me and nurtured me. She was always there for me to lean on, like, and she was just my rock and she still is, right? And so I just remember sharing that with you and just knowing, like, I know that you're already doing that and that it's, it is going to impact Hunter. And it, that is literally the easiest thing that you can do for a kid experiencing a split life because and and here's the thing too like when we're talking about positives and negatives like i i kind of touched on when i was growing up i had a very very bipolar experience where my parents separated my mom married and had my two sisters and like this was a very loving supportive relationship my you know they're still together it's been like 25 years and then with my biological dad married a woman you know, they're both alcoholics. There was like narcissistic, mental, emotional abuse and cheating. And it, it was like, it was like fucking crazy. Like if I actually went into it, it was like fucking crazy. And yeah, guess what? Going into my twenties, I had a lot that I had to unpack, but it made me a stronger person. And now I'm, I'm into coaching and like helping people and just have this awareness. So even though it was, you know, a negative experience in some sense, and I struggled with depression and just crap at times, it did in the end, you know, spit me out to be a better person. So it's just like, I don't know, there's yeah. always going to be, it really does depend on how you see it, which I think is so beautiful mm -hmm. that you pointed out that, you know, you were catching yourself seeing the negatives and then, you know, you would just flip it and like choose to see the positives and they're all what ifs anyways, because you're not going to know what's going to happen until it happens. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And I think, I think that's so, that's so powerful too, right? Is that despite, okay, if you have a single parent home versus married parents, right? Life is life. Life can be shitty sometimes. So sure, this isn't like exactly what I wanted for Hunter, but if we were to have stayed together, like Hunter could be hurt in that situation too. Like it's like, no matter what, like life is life and life can suck sometimes. And then it gets really good. And then it can be bad sometimes. Like that's just the reality is that like life shapes us to who we are. And that's also really powerful what you said about how you had to unpack a lot of that stuff in your early 20s and it's made you who you are today. And that's also how I think because, you know, yeah, I've been through a lot of shit. I've been through terrible relationships. And sometimes I also find myself catching like, oh, I wish I had never, you know, done the back to back relationships and ended up with that person, that abusive guy and blah, blah, blah. But it's led me to where I am right now. 
Like, and that's such a beautiful thing. Like I love who I am today. I love who I'm becoming today. And yeah, it's hard and I'm growing constantly, but like, I wouldn't change anything going back on that now. Like I wouldn't. And then when I think of Hunter and being a single parent is I get this super cool opportunity to help raise a little boy into being a respectful man who just respects humans and respects women and, you know, can show up vulnerably and emotionally and be in touch with his emotions. Like I have such a huge opportunity right now and I get to be more present for him and he gets to see me walk this journey and he gets to see me walk through hard times and be that example. And so it doesn't have to look perfect all the time. It doesn't like being perfect and showing up perfect doesn't serve anybody. You know, it's, it's how we go through life and navigate it. So when I think of it that way, like it's, it's so cool, right? Like it's, it's cool. I love it. Like I'm, I'm happy and I like being a single parent right now. I get a lot more one-on-one time with Hunter too. And I just, I'm just grateful. Yeah. I love that. When you started talking about really having this opportunity to just raise him and just have that intentionality of, you know, teaching him how to to be in touch with himself and to just Mm -hmm. like really have the space to not let, you know, societal expectations of how a man should be or just you know, weird shit with, I don't know, just, you don't, you get to be more present with him to give him that space to just really be in touch with himself from a young age. And I, I, I so admire your positive attitude about this because it's not, I don't think it's common to hear a single parent speak so positively about this experience. It's usually a lot Mm -hmm. of emphasis on like child support or, you know, getting kids on holidays and, paying Mm -hmm. this and paying for that like there is a lot there's a lot of shit there but like it's so much better to have at least one parent who's just aware and supportive because that is for me what got me through everything that I experienced growing up was like having my mom be that rock and so I know that that's exactly what you're doing and I just Mm -hmm. love it I really love it thank you I appreciate that (laughs) oh yeah you're so welcome Okay, well, I I loved our conversation today. I think it just flowed so beautifully. Like you shared so openly and vulnerably. And I just really want to thank you again for coming on the channel today and, and having this conversation with me. Thank you so much for having me. It was Cheers. awesome. I had so much fun and clearly I had no reason to be nervous at all because no. how many how many times did I go pee before we started? <laughs> Only twice, but it was in five minutes. So that was absolutely hilarious. <laughs> You're like, awesome. yeah, don't hit record yet, Caleb. I'm like, what? What's wrong? I'm like, I-, I need to go to the bathroom. I was like, you just went. I'm like, yeah, well. <laughs> I know. I know. There was no no reason to be nervous. <laughs> no. No, that's, and it's so funny because usually what happens is when I interview someone, like, yeah, they show up, they're super nervous. I'm like, listen, this is literally the most organic conversation you're ever going to have. Yes, it's recorded. Yes, people are going to listen, but it's just like, it's so authentic that it doesn't, it doesn't even matter. It's going to be amazing, right? So with that being said, can you share where people can find you on social media or if they want to get more information about Arbon, where can they connect with you? Absolutely. Yeah. So you can find me on Instagram. That's the easiest way to find me. Um, it's at Steffi Ray. So it's S T E P H Y W R A Y, or you can email me at Steffi Ray at gmail.com spelled the same way. Perfect. Okay. Well, thank you. Thank you so much for coming on again today, Steph. And I want to thank the listeners for tuning in as well. If you can, like subscribe to the channel share the episode and tag us you can tag at steffi ray and you can also tag myself at kayla g we would love to hear what you think about this episode this is definitely more of a unique episode on my channel like i really just wanted to share your story and so i know it's going to make a really positive impact so thank you thank you thank you for being here and thank you to the listeners